0: Good morning. All right. I've got uh, a lot to go through here this morning, and I'll tell you real quickly what happened because I'm going to talk fast today if I can. Um, Usually it takes me uh, about nine, eight to nine pages. Morning, Retta. Eight to nine pages um, of... uh, typed out stuff here to use the allotted time that we have. And uh, I worked hard on this. I've been working quite a few weeks. Um, And when I went to print it out last night, and I printed it out, I had nine pages, or almost nine pages, and I started to try to read it, and then I realized what I had done. It was in a small font. So I had to change the font, and I have 12 pages this morning. So, (laughs) all right, Um, let's get started. Uh, Perhaps you've heard uh, that bank tellers are trained to spot spot, uh, counterfeit bills by studying real bills and not the counterfeit ones. The theory is that by knowing exactly how a, a real bill looks will help the teller to notice quickly when a counterfeit bill is presented to them. That sounds reasonable to me. Uh, but I don't know for sure if that's uh, true of how uh, tellers are trained. Uh, but it probably is true that it helps spot counterfeit bills. Studying the real thing is important, and when studying the Bible, studying the real thing is most important. However, I think it is important also to be aware of the counterfeits and the flawed things for the purpose of spotting them quickly when they are presented to us. Um, Now, in the same line of thought, in another analogy, when I was a kid, owning a negative of the picture of Gordy Tau's face was a cool thing. Uh, You were uh, a collector supreme if you had one of those negatives. Um, Looking around, I'm sure most of you know this, but for those of you who might not know, cameras in those days used film. Uh, I know we don't today hardly. Uh, and it, it was usually back black and white, and it, it, that needed to be developed from a negative in order to uh, get the picture. Also, for those of you who might not know, Gordy Howell was a hockey player. <laughs> <laughs> Some people might not know, uh, who played until he was 51 years old uh, from 1946 to 1971 for the Detroit uh, Red Wings. During his long combative career in hockey, he received at least 500 stitches in his face alone. You can look this up online. Um, Gordy was a scrapper, and I don't know what photographer or sports person started the fad of selling those negatives of Gordy Howell's face, but those negatives exposed every nick, cut, and bump on his face. Uh, It exposed every flaw, and it made his face look like a road map. Uh, without a negative picture, the flaws weren't seen easily. It was only by looking at the negatives could his flaws be uh, clearly seen. This morning we are going to study what worship is by looking in on Cain and Abel as they bring offerings to God and worship. Both a positive and negative picture of worship. The Bible presents us with many negative pictures of worship just like Cain and Abel such as King Saul, who lacked obedience, Nadab and uh, Behu, who brought strange fire before the Lord, and Israel, who worshipped um, idols um, quite often. And even though uh, many of these biblical pictures are found in the Old Testament, they are still profitable for us today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for training for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Uh, These pictures of worship are profitable for our teaching, for our reproof, for our correction, for our training in righteousness, so that we as children of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. And in this case, prayerfully, adequately equipped with humble loving worship for our God and Savior because he is worthy of all worship. Colossians chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 says, "For by him all things were created, both in heavens, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things" And in Him, all things hold together. God is worthy of all worship because we are created by Him. Not only are we created by Him, but we owe our continued existence to His constant will and sovereign work and supply, never ceasing to uphold all that allows all of life to exist. Without God, neither me nor any of you can take one breath on His own or one step in any direction because we will to do so, aside from God's will for us to do so. God is the one who supplies every necessity for life and animates us to function within His supply. God doesn't need gravity to get from one place to another, but we do. God doesn't need water, doesn't need air, and doesn't need any outside source for His being, but we do. And God supplies it for us. Aside from God, nothing can exist. No universe, no earth, no gravity, no water, no air, no life. God upholds all. God created it all and gave each of us breath, animation, and senses to experience and enjoy and benefit continued life from it. God is at every point in time, without ceasing, upholding our life until our appointed time for death and even then has supplied a remedy for death, the resurrection. He has supplied a remedy for sin in our condemned state also, the sacrifice of His Son and His shed blood, our redemption and eternal life, Jesus Christ. God is worthy of all worship. Worship is not optional, nor is it done according to human imagination or human design. But rather by the truth of God's Word, which reveals to us who God is, what God has done, what God will do, how God desires for us to walk, and how God desires to be worshipped. Add to that the prescription written in Christians' hearts by the Spirit of God, who testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God, reminding us that with joy we can cry out, Abba, Father. God is worthy of all worship. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you, Lord, um, that you have allowed us to come here this morning uh, to worship you, Father. Uh, We don't know, Lord, why you've chosen us to salvation, uh, Lord, but but we thank you for it. We praise you for it, Father. And we certainly thank you for the opportunity to, to worship you this morning because you are worthy of all of our worship, Father. And uh, we, we just thank you and praise you for the, all that you do. And I pray, Father, this morning that you would help each one of us, Lord, uh, to worship you uh, more and worship you in the right way, with the right kind of hearts, right motives, Father. And I just pray that you'd work on all our hearts uh, through your word, through your spirit, Father. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This picture in the Bible concerning worship uh, is a family portrait of two brothers, Cain and Abel. As we read about Cain and Abel, we need to realize much of what is going on concerning their offerings is unknown to us from this portion of God's Word alone. And some things we won't know until we get to heaven. Were they told to bring offerings in other places of the Bible? God gives explicit instructions for sacrifice. And God gives explicit explanations for the reason of sacrifice. Did Cain and Abel receive those instructions from God? Or did God give them to Adam and Eve? Were the boys told by their parents they should bring offerings to God? Or did Cain and Abel witness their parents bringing offerings? Children learn by watching parents. Did they sacrifice on an altar? perhaps even a family altar. Did did they even know what an altar is? Were they in a regular place of worship together? Or were their offerings made individually in separate, random places? What we do know for sure is that both brothers brought an offering to God for the purpose of worship. The older brother brought an offering to God and it was rejected, and the younger brother brought an offering to God and was accepted. Let's read the Word of God. It's in Genesis chapter 4, uh, ver- uh, verses 3 through 9. And it says there So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of their fat fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering God had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? At this point, I have to make an insertion here. Uh, Before preparing two weeks ago to bring this study this morning, my heart was made up as to why God had no regard for Cain and for Cain's offering. While studying during the last two weeks, my heart concerning the reason for God's rejection has changed. And throughout the course of this study, my heart has changed often and oscillated back and forth between five different reasons. God having no regard for Cain and for his offering. All of which have merit in light of other scriptures. That is how we interpret scripture. Scripture should inter- interpret scripture. I'd like to let you know uh, what those five reasons are. Reason one is Cain brought the wrong type of offering. It should have been a blood offering. Reason two is the quality of Cain's offering wasn't of his best, and was of poor quality. Reason three is the spiritual condition of Cain's heart, his attitude, or his reasons for bringing an offering. Reason four is God's sovereign choice to choose that which he rejects and that which he accepts. Reason five is a combination of any of these, or perhaps all. I'd like to point out again that all of these have merit in light of other scriptures. The core of these first four reasons are all biblical doctrines taught throughout the Bible. Whenever I've been asked by uh, Pastor Elworth to bring a lesson here for Sunday school, in his absence, my goal has not ever been to offend any of you, nor has it been to disrupt the unity Pastor has taught on recently. But neither has my goal been to teach as to please any of you preferring pleasing you over the truth of the Word of God. But instead, part of my goal has been that we would all be edified and grow in our walk and in service to Christ from the things we study from His Word. Also, my goal has not ever been to please uh, Pastor Elworth, although I am aware that I am under his authority as I have submitted myself to him as my pastor. And as such, I certainly do not wish to displease him. I have no mandate from him concerning the scripture, nor any clear picture of his belief concerning the same. However, my goal is to glorify and please my Lord by speaking only where he speaks and by being silent where he is silent in his word. It has never been my goal to teach my beliefs and I am at every moment willing and ready to be convicted of them and to repent at the truth of God's Word. The Word of God should, should be neither taken away from nor added to by human perception. That being said, uh, let's continue. At my first reading of Cain and Abel, Uh, That is, the part of this that deals with Cain's offering. Many years ago as a, a new Christian, my heart broke for Cain. He brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. I identified with that from living with my grandparents in Arkansas where I was a teenager. I learned how very hard and frustrating farming can be. There are so many variables that can go wrong and cause more work, usually hard work. In fact, if we back up one chapter in the Bible, we find uh, God telling Adam how hard he would have to work to eat from his labor. God says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17-19, through 19, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. Cain probably worked hard in order to bring God his offering. Was it a fatted carrot? Per- perhaps a whole bunch of big fat carrots? Perhaps even a big beautiful platter of arranged fruits and vegetables? Or perhaps even a grain offering? Certainly, whatever Cain brought to the Lord, he worked hard to get. And I felt sorry for him, as God had no regard His offering. What I've learned since then is that God sees the whole man, including his beliefs, feelings, opinions, desires, intentions, values, and the motives of his heart. God's eyesight and insight. When looking at a man is far greater than our limited sight. God sees it all. You and I don't. Just like first Samuel 16:7 at the end of the verse where the Lord said to Samuel speaking about King Saul, "Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart." There is no secret hidden From God. You and I get a glimpse of what God saw in both Cain's and Abel's hearts when we read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. It says there, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Nowhere is it recorded that Cain offered his sacrifice to God by faith. Not in the Old Testament, nor in the New Testament. Only Abel brought his offering by faith. If someone doesn't walk by faith, how do they walk? It says in 2 Corinthians 5:7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Walking by sight is the opposite of walking by faith. Walking by sight means only allowing things one can experience with their senses to influence how they live and what they believe. It also means being guided by one's own beliefs, feelings, opinions, desires, intentions, values, and emotives of the heart as they are influenced by natural, everyday things they perceive with their senses instead of spiritual things their senses cannot grasp. If they can see it, touch it, feel it, hear it, and smell it, those are the things that their lives are guided by, including their religion. When one walks by sight instead of faith, they are walking by human perception that when applied in religion, starts out as corruption and can only remain in corruption unless they repent. Jude, verses 10 and 11a speaking about ungodly men who will creep into the church unnoticed says but these speak evil of those things which they know not but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves woe unto them for they have gone in the way of Cain and of course there's more to that verse Cain had no faith in spiritual things but walked by sight which leads only to corruption and ungodliness. Cain was an ungodly, religious man with an evil, unrepentant heart full of malice towards his brother. God's question to Cain, and let's look at them again. We just read it in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. God's questions to Cain aren't really questions. We saw in 1 Samuel 16:7 that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God wants Cain to think about the consequences of his actions being planned in his heart. Because God sees Cain's heart clearly. Cain has the opportunity to to repent and say, Father, forgive me, and go to his brother and ask forgiveness as well. But instead, the sin that is crouching at the door is released, and the desire of Cain's heart, fueled by sin and unrighteous indignation, is is fulfilled by killing his righteous brother Abel. God asked Cain where his brother was, and Cain lied and said, I don't know. And then added, Am I my brother's keeper? In 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, God answers this question through John, who says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. We we read earlier that for Cain and for his offering, God had no regard. God had no regard for Cain because Cain had no faith in God and no regard for his brother. Cain's corrupt form of worship united him and aligned him with the evil one. And Cain did the evil one's bidding by killing his brother Abel because his brother was righteous. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Cain's lack of faith made him easy prey for the induction of himself into the evil one's ranks. The first in a long line of the woman's seed to be so. Jesus, speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, says in John chapter 8, verse 44, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desire of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar, and the father of lies. The first lie in the Bible came from Satan. Our God cannot lie. Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? We can trust in in, and have faith in what God says. And he says to the serpent in the presence of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Here in his word, God gives a guarantee of hostility between the woman's seed and the seed of Satan along with a guarantee of of a wounded warrior who would bruise the head of Satan. We know that victorious wounded warrior to be Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, But the God God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus, Jesus be with you. Jesus Christ, the God of peace, the wounded warrior, will crush the head of Satan and deliver God's people from sin. Did God repeat to Cain and Abel his guarantee of the wounded warrior? Did Abel and Eve tell to their children the things that happened in the Garden of Eden? What we are told is that Abel brought his offering by faith. Where does faith come from? Romans 10, chapter 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. However, as we know, hearing is not enough. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 22 says, But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the implanted, Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Abel brought his offering by faith, by hearing the word of God, and by obeying it. James chapter 2, verse 26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. The Bible tells us what faith is in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. Abel's offering then was made with the assurance, which is the belief and the guarantee of God's word of things hoped for, and the conviction which is the belief and the guarantee of God's Word prompting action of things not seen. A good analogy of this, which is fiction, is that of two farmers in ancient Israel who have gone through five years of drought through which they found it useless to prepare their fields and plant, causing them to take jobs in town. While in town one day they meet a prophet of the Lord who says to them, Thus says says the Lord, in two weeks it will rain. Both farmers return to their homes, pondering what they were told. The next morning, one farmer returns to town and reports for work. The other farmer, instead of returning to town for work, goes to work preparing his fields and sowing seed. Which one exhibited assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen? By faith... Abel brought an offering of the firstlings of his flocks and of their fat portions, and it was acceptable to God. Abel brought his offering by faith. Allow me to offer uh, three points of application and then a conclusion. After that, I will take uh, questions or comments. The sacrifice and its blood has always been essential throughout history. The first hint we receive from the Word of God concerning sacrifice is when God made coats of skins to cover Adam's and Eve's nakedness. We don't have to guess or surmise or conjure up that innocent animals with life-giving blood gave up that life for the purpose of covering Adam and Eve. Neither do we have to guess or surmise or conjure up that the offering Abel brought to God were animals with life-giving blood whose life was drained for his offering to God. The blood of animals made atonement for the children of Israel and sealed covenants, and it cleansed. Leviticus chapter 17 Verse, verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. The sacrifice and its blood has always been essential throughout history. Exodus chapter 24 verses 5 through 8 says, Talking about Moses, he sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And then the writer of Hebrews, telling what Moses did there in Hebrews 9, verses 20-22 through says, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and the and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. I am always reminded of the sacrifice of Christ made for me with His own blood when reading about the sacrifices of those animals in the Word of God. The scriptures concerning animals being sacrificed that wrench at my heart the most are those where the lamb is brought to the door of the temple, and the people's hands are placed on the lamb as the lamb is slain. The people would feel the life of the lamb drained from it and would themselves be reminded of their sinfulness and the innocence of the lamb and the need for his death, for his blood to make atonement for their sins. My Lord shed His blood for me willingly. The sacrifice of animals throughout ancient Israel's history point forward to Christ, giving us a picture of Him who would someday shed His own blood for sinners. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14 says, "But when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things to come, He entered through the greater." And more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Point one is this. That when we worship God, the shed blood of Christ on our behalf offered, as the Bible says, when we were ungodly and we were, when we were yet sinners, and while we were enemies, we were re- reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Should give us a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, which God will not despise. And it says in Romans chapter 5, or as it says in Romans chapter 5, my life was very ungodly, and I am a sinner. And I was certainly an enemy of Christ persecuting and making fun of Christians. Since being saved, I have often viewed my old life and envisioned myself at the foot of the cross of Christ with a hammer in my hand. And still, Christ shed His blood for me. The blood is essential. Essential also is the quality of our offerings to God who lays out through Moses his instructions when bringing an offering of the fruit of the ground. He says, if it is a grain offering, that it should be of fine flour and have oil and frankincense poured on it. It should also be seasoned with salt. And if it is of fresh grain, it should be of fresh grain only. If it is an offering of grits, it should be of new growth only. You can read this in Leviticus chapter 2. Anything less or inferior offered to God would be rejected. God says the same about a sacrifice from the herd or from the flock in Leviticus chapter 22 verse 21. When a man offers a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or for free will offering of the herd or of the flock, it must be perfect to be accepted there shall no defect there shall be no defect in it god has something to say about the quality of the ties to israel as well in malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 10 will man rob god yet you are robbing me but you say how have we robbed you in tithes and offerings you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me The whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If you will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Point two is that when we worship God with our tithes and offerings, God doesn't want our leftovers. Now, there's nothing wrong with leftovers. They add up too. However, God wants more and deserves more than just our leftovers. God wants our whole tithe. We should give God the best that we have, because all that we have is His. The Bible does talk about Abraham giving Melchizedek a tenth of the choicest spoils. Now, it's not written in stone, but many Christians I talk with give 10%, and anything above 10% is considered an offering. Our tithes and offerings should be of the first things we consider when budgeting our finances, and it should be given to our local church. God wants the best of our time and our service as well. There's nothing wrong with playing golf, fishing, running, bicycling, exercising, Tupperware parties, sewing circles, TV, computer games, Facebook, or anything that we as Christians do which is needed or enjoyed. However, God should get the best of our time and the best of our service as well. He doesn't want our leftovers. uh, He doesn't want our leftovers after we exhaust the majority of our time or strength. Sometimes I stay up late and then come to church tired. And while I ever while I haven't ever fallen asleep here, my attention and comprehension suffers when I'm tired. God deserves my best and God deserves your best. Point 3 is that God desires our best in holiness also. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 15 through 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Years ago, as a new Christian, I tried to live my life by a definition of being holy that I read in a book. The definition goes as follows. I think it was from Spurgeon, actually. To live a holy life is to live a life in contrast to the ways of the world and in conformity to the moral precepts taught in the Bible. This definition, however good, is lacking. The definition should also include being dedicated for God's purpose. At salvation, God calls us out of the world, the world out of us, and dedicates us for His purpose. For his use, and for and the result is holiness. However, in God's work in us, there is also work for us to do for worship to be pleasing to God. Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse verse one. Therefore, having these, these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. In the fear of our God, when we come to God and worship, our beliefs, feelings, opinions, desires, intentions, values, and the motives of our hearts must, through practice and exercise, with con- with constant monitoring and correction, bring us to repentance because of the lust desire of our flesh and eyes God wants our best in conclusion let me leave you with a few questions to ponder in your heart without actually giving me an answer did you worship at home this week how about this morning before church was your home a place of worship and did did you prepare for worship today did you get enough sleep last night? How was your attitude with God and with other people? Are there any ongoing anger issues? How was your attitude during your ride here this morning? Do you spend time doing unneeded things that could be better used for God? We need to constantly guard against building reasons for God to reject our worship. And we need to cognitively guard against just going through the motions of worship. Worship is for our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we worship Him because of who He is, what He has done, and what He will do. And because we love Him, because He first loved us. I want to worship God with all that I have, And perhaps owe him the most for his deliverance of me from deep within the worst the world has to offer. God is good. So, are there any questions or comments this morning? You know, I actually did look at their names, but it wasn't included here. Anyone else? Okay, well, let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, once again, uh, we're thankful, Lord, uh, that we uh, are allowed to come here and worship you, Father. And we pray that our our worship would be pleasing to you, uh, Lord. Uh, I just pray that you'd help uh, each one of us, Lord, to live holy lives, uh, dedicated to you, Father, uh, living for you. And, uh, Lord, I pray for the service to come. I pray, Father, in that service that you'll help us to be mindful of worshiping you and the, our singing, our praying. Uh, Lord, uh, listening to your word preached, applying it to our hearts and our lives, Father. I just pray that you would strengthen us and help us, Lord, to serve you uh, and walk with you and worship you, Lord, better than we have, Father. And I just praise you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Okay, Uh, we'll be sure. uh, (laughs) 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 Actually, I know. (laughs) Just for fun, you know. (laughs) Just just for fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <So> we're ready. <laughs> okay, here we go again.